Ray Simmons put a little uh, pressure on me this morning saying that uh, he's been waiting a number of years for this. And um, in, in all honesty, uh, it has been uh, longer that I've been worshiping with you um, than, uh, than I had thought before I would uh, seek to uh, come before you and present the Lord's Word. So um, as we look at this today, we're going to be looking in Zephaniah 3 and verse 17. Uh, that'll be the uh, the text uh, that uh, we read in a moment, and then uh, we dig into. You know, as I've been meditating on on this uh, passage for a number of weeks now, it's just a glorious truth um, that the Lord our God is in our midst, and that no matter what happens, He is working in us and through us to accomplish His good pleasure, for His glory and for our good. I just want to ask you to stand, and we'll read that uh, brief passage, and then uh, we'll uh, begin. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Father, I pray, uh, Lord, that you would just bless these words, and Father, as we engage uh, this text, Lord, that you would, you would open our hearts to the truth that is here, and Lord, that you would encourage us, and um, Father, we just praise you. Amen. Now, as we jump into this text, um, I'd encourage you sometime in the near future to go back and read all three uh, chapters in this book. It's a, it's a short book, only three chapters. Uh, Pastor Kaiser walked us through it last February and um, brought us a, a larger context of this beautiful book um, in which it's an amazing journey from God's justice and wrath being poured out on the unrepentant sinners and ending in his astonishing love bringing Judah and the other nations into a marriage covenant. Pastor Kaiser also quoted uh, O. Palmer Robertson speaking of this verse uh, Robertson says, three parallel lines, each containing three phrases, express the deepest inner joy and satisfaction of God himself in his love for his people. Delight, joy, rejoicing, and singing on God's part underscore the mutuality of emotional experience felt by God and the redeemed. That almighty God should derive delight from his own creation is significant in itself but that the Holy One should experience ecstasy over the sinner is incomprehensible. Amen? God delights in saving His people. This fact alone should cause us to sing and rejoice and shout for joy as we just sang earlier. We should have a cheerful and a thankful heart when we come to worship this God when that weight sets upon us. It brings the Lord our God pleasure and joy to rescue us and to bring us to himself. He desires to bring salvation to us. Jeremiah 32, 41 says, I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and with all my soul. God rejoices in doing us good. So as we look at this little phrase, we're just going to look at the first part of this verse. 
the Lord your God in your midst. We're going to just look at the first two words there, the Lord. The reality is, if this Lord who is mentioned here is not who he says he is, then these promises in this scripture mean nothing. Without the Lord and all that is implied by this name, if he is not who he says he is, then these promises cannot be founded. He is, however, that immovable rock. He is the one that we can cling to when trouble comes and when trials are upon us. With absolute confidence, we can know that God will keep his promises. This Lord is Yehovah or Jehovah. He is the great I am. He is the self-existent one. He is the sovereign, absolute creator God. He is the covenant-keeping God. He is the God who has bound himself to his people through a covenant of grace. Now, as I was considering that, I thought of, uh, you know, my profession is one in the aerospace industry. And we have created fibers that are stronger than steel. And I've considered this, what if man could take these fibers that are stronger than steel and build, create a rope, as it were, that could not be broken by man and try to bind to God? What would snap in an instant? But God, because he has bound himself, could take the finest filament that will snap with even the smallest child would not break that band because he has bound himself. He is the true and living God. He is the everlasting one. He is eternal and infinite and unchangeable. Again, this name Jehovah speaks of a God and all his divine perfections, his greatness and his glory. This phrase starts with the Lord, Jehovah, being the beginning and the foundation of these promises. And I'm here to tell you that because of that truth, these promises are as good as done. Amen? If he said it, it will be because he cannot lie. Brothers and sisters, over this last year... um, I can't tell you how many times I have pondered just on who the Lord is. That as we sat in hospital rooms and as we have brought Hannah home and seen her through all of the surgeries and the ups and the downs and the trials, there were so many times in which there was nothing else that we could even hold on to. I myself as a man want to hold on to a lot of different things. I want to think that I have control. I want to think that I can in some way plan all of the next steps. And yet, I am so much better off when I simply say, the Lord is in control. Amen? Now, moving on to the next piece of the phrase, it says, the Lord, your God, in the midst. Again, he is your God. What a, what a remarkable statement that is. If, if Scripture didn't tell us this, would we even begin to hope of such a wonderful blessing? That God, the Lord, is our God. 
He has called us into fellowship, and he desires that we worship him and him alone. No other gods. But here in Zephaniah, uh, in the first chapter, he says why he's judging Israel. He says that they were worshiping Baal and the hosts of heaven and Milcom, which is another name for Molech. These were the false gods that the Israelites were worshiping. Brothers and sisters, we have new names for these gods, but we are still worshiping false idols and gods today. The Lord is your God, and he does not delight in sharing you with others. In Exodus 20, verse 15, tells us that you shall not bow down to them, you shall not serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. He wants his people for himself. We must not pursue the idols of this world. But we all know the truth. We don't need erected idols from this world. All we need to do is look in the mirror. Calvin said that the human heart is a factory of idols. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever done this. But has the Lord ever made known an idol in your life? And you set it out there, and then you took it back and tucked it away for safekeeping for a later date. Here in Zephaniah 3.2, speaking of Jerusalem, it says, She has not obeyed his voice. She has not received correction. She has not trusted in the Lord. She has not drawn near to her God. She is following her idolatrous heart here. And these words should crush us when we consider how idolatrous our hearts can be. Our deliverance can be found nowhere else other than Christ's blood and his imputed righteousness, though. And that is a sure thing. As we were going through uh, the covenant promises this morning, how many of you just said amen after every one of them? He will never leave us nor forsake us, we are told. But do we believe that? You know, that was in the call to worship in the Valley of Vision. It says, remind me that your love for me will never end. We need those reminders. That even though we know that he will never leave us or forsake us, we still need to be reminded. And what a glorious thing that God is our God. And that we are reminded because of who he is. Paul says, uh, in Colossians, that we should be confident that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Even when we rebel against him, he is working out all of those things for our good. Matthew 28 tells us because he's been given all authority under heaven and earth, that we're to go ye therefore. But he ends that passage with I am with you always, even until the end of the age. He is here to help us, 
And our God is with us through all of the things that we go through. And that should be a great comfort and joy as we call upon the name of our God, who is the Lord. The last part of this phrase is, in your midst, the Lord your God, in your midst. God is in the midst of his people. He is here right now. God being in our midst has glorious blessings. And it also has some revealing ones as well. He knows everything that we think in the private of our hearts. He was with the people of Israel and Jerusalem in Zephaniah's day. And it was the fact that he was there that he saw their great sin. And this kindled his wrath and his anger toward them. God's judgment, righteousness, and wrath are all here as he is in our midst. But God being in our midst should be a source of greatest courage for us as well. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And I'm thought of Psalm 46 as well as, you know, it, it says that the earth be removed and the mountains cast into the sea and the, the waters roar and the mountains are shake. And yet the psalmist goes on and he says, God is in the midst of her and she shall not be moved. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And this is ours through the incarnation. God is in our midst. And because of that, he actually says here in, in Zephaniah 3.16 that we should not be afraid. And then he further exhorts them to not have weak hands, presumably because of fear. Why? Because the God who is with us is in our midst. And I thought of uh, the three Hebrews that were thrown into the fiery furnace, the one that was heated seven times hotter. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. The Lord our God is in the midst. So no matter what trials or troubles or persecutions you may be facing, no matter how bleak things may look all around us, remember that the Lord's your God in your midst. And as you come to the Lord's table to rejoice and worship and commune with the Lord your God, know that he has set this table to encourage and strengthen us as he is in our midst. Father, we thank you 
for this brief little passage that has so much blessing. We thank you, Lord, for the table that we are about to partake of. We thank you, Lord, for what the table communicates to us. We thank you, Lord, that you will never leave us nor forsake us and that you are the Lord, our God, in the midst.